The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word. Uh, there's some things that I want to, uh, uh, to share with you that we're going to find as we get into it. I want to tell you kind of the foundation for the Word. I mean, earlier in the week, there were uh, conversations. Some of these conversations even took place in our Wednesday night meeting. There were just things that were spoken and said that had, had my, my mind uh, uh, racing and my heart open and was wanting to really find out what is foundational and necessary for us to grow in God, to grow in the Lord, to grow in, in Christianity, to, to function as, as God's called us to. Now, you'll never be more of a Christian than you are the day you're born again. Uh, but we do grow and mature. It's throughout the scripture. There's a lot of evidence that show that, that God is raising us up. In fact, he promises to continue to perfect us until the day of the Lord, which means you are a work in progress. I mean, you may look at your neighbor and think, well, no news there, you know. I mean, I can see that you know, some of us are further along than others, but, you know, it's really something that God's doing in every one of us, and it's real easy to turn and see that in someone else. We need to embrace that in our own lives, to know that God's at work in us. Uh, so the topic of the, the uh, message today was birthed early in the week, uh, based on some of the conversations that I'd had with people outside of the church, inside of the church, and I think it's a topic that we need to touch on often, actually. Uh, it's not a popular topic. Uh, it's not going to... Uh, uh, to, to get anyone real excited when you hear what it is. But when we see what the scripture says, we ought to be really excited about it. Uh, so I want to give you a few things that we're going to find here as we get in the scripture. One thing we're going to find is there is a place that God wants everyone to come to. Everyone. I mean, every single person. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter, uh, uh, you, you know, gender, age. doesn't matter. There is a place that God wants everyone to come to. We're going to see what that place is, and we'll find that out uh, when, we, when we kick things off here in a moment. Another thing we're going to find is what's needed in order to mature. What's absolutely necessary, if this isn't present, maturity will be absent. Maturity meaning, you know, uh, growth or laying aside old childish ways and stepping into ways that are productive and fruitful. There's an element that's absolutely necessary, and honestly, in my life, and then from my perspective, when I look at the lives of others, I see this as really one of the greatest obstacles to, to growth or maturity. And then there's a third thing we're going to find, and we're going to find a lot more than these three things, but a third thing that we can look forward to is, is what we need to ask God for and why. I mean, what we need to include in our prayer life and, and why we need to include it. Now, when you hear this, you're, you're going to kind of crack the code. You're going to hear, wow, that's a word that I do hear Pastor Preston say a lot when he's praying, and, and I do. I, I pray it a lot, and, and, and for good reason. Uh, so let's get right into the word. I, I want to jump right in. I mentioned before we're going to find out uh, the place that God wants everyone to come to. The place that God wants everyone to come to. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to look at verse 9. If you're taking notes, you can write that down, and I encourage you to visit these passages in your own time. I've got a lot of scripture to share this morning, so we're going to cover a lot of ground. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It 
2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Now, it reads like this. It says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish or any to suffer, but for all to come to repentance. Well, if you're looking for a word to underline, or if you're looking for kind of the, the point or the theme of the message, that's it, that last word, repentance. I told you it's not a very popular topic, uh, and it ought to be. In fact, it was the popular topic with Jesus, and we'll see that in the scripture. But that is uh, the foundation of today's message, and you're going to see why it's so important to have that be an active part of the believer's life. Now, I want to read this passage again and, and break it down just a little bit. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. I want to pause there for a second. I mean, God's given some of us wonderful promises. Some of these promises we've stepped into and we've agreed with God and we see some elements and some fruit and some things and some really in incredible uh, evidence that God's involved. And then all of a sudden it seems like it hits a brick wall or, or the brakes get tapped a little bit and we start to wonder, God, where are you at? Well, this passage of scripture is meant to, to be a comfort to us that God isn't slow about his promise the way we feel like things are slow. You've got to understand something. I mean, your world is ruled by the clock. God's is not. It's not just that, that he doesn't care about time. It's literally that he's outside of time. That's, that's eternity. I mean, eternity is not necessarily a place or a location that you could find on a map. Rather, it's the realm in which God exists. I mean, you can't think of eternity as a long stretch of time or else you're still measuring eternity by time, which it can't be measured by. It's outside of time. So when we think about this, we think about all of the things that have us impatient, that have us tapping our foot, that have us wondering and waiting, God, how long, how much longer? And the reality is God isn't seeing things the way we see things. And we need to trust that he's seeing them very differently and that he has a, a goal and a point. In fact, that goal and that point is revealed here. That this delay that has us tapping our foot, that this, this delay that has us wondering if God's even there, if he even cares, there's a purpose behind it. He's not slow the way that we count slowness, but, now here's where you're going to find out what God is, but he's patient. He's doing something. He's at work. I mean, he's, he's at work in us. He's at work in the situation. He's at work in, the, in the, the circumstance. He's at work in the relationship. He's at work in the business. He's at work in the ministry. He's at work in whatever it is that we're sitting around thinking that he's, you know, failing to show up or that he's slow on. And his work is to accomplish the following. To prevent perishing, to prevent dying, to prevent destruction, to prevent decay, through something really powerful, through the coming to repentance. Now, when I read this passage of Scripture, uh, there's words like all that stand out to me. And, and I know everyone perceives things differently, and I'm not attempting to train you to think like I think or something like that, but I just want to share with you the things that stand out to me in the event that they might minister to you. I mean, a word like all is a, is a really important word there. It excludes no one. I mean, it means this applies to every single person. So it, it, what it does, and I want you to pay close attention to this, it eliminates exceptions. Where we might think, well, he doesn't know about my situation. <laughs> or he doesn't know how bad she is. Or he doesn't know how bad he is. Or he doesn't know what I went through. 
But all includes every single situation or circumstance, meaning that God is at work. We may be frustrated with his timing, but he's not slow about his promise as some count slowness. Rather, he's patient to the situation and he's doing something. He's preventing perishing. He's preventing destruction. He's preventing death. He's preventing separation. He's doing all of these things for the purpose of or through repentance. That's why I want to talk about repentance. Because I see a lot of things that are taking place just in people's lives, in the world, and I see a need for that cure that God has introduced into this world through Jesus, that cure that is repentance. We need to understand what it means, but before we do that, I want to show you its priority. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. The Scripture reads like this, from that time on. Now, I want to pause there and tell you what that time on is. This is the beginning of the preaching ministry of Jesus Christ as it's recorded in the Gospels. The beginning of the preaching ministry of Jesus Christ, anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit, performing signs and wonders, fulfilling his call to function and to operate in full as the representation, the embodiment of God as our Messiah, taking our place on the cross, rising up from the grave, being ascended into heaven, and pouring out the Holy Spirit. All of that starts right here. At the beginning, from that time on, Jesus began and preached, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when I consider this and I look at this, I, I, I think that repentance obviously must be a priority to God. It must be important. I mean, it's what was in the beginning. It's, it's what was foundational, and that's a very important word. We'll, we'll see that word again later on. Foundational. It is necessary for that to be spoken, for that to be ministered, for that to be embraced, for everything else that comes after all of the miracles, all of the signs, all of the wonders, all of the people abandoning sin and corruption and all of the people abandoning selfishness and self-serving, all of the people embracing the will of God, it all comes after repentance. Another passage of scripture, Mark chapter 1, I want to read verses 14 and 15. It says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Do you realize what he's saying here? It's almost like a store that has a grand opening, right? I mean, you've seen that. You've all known of, of retail outlets or stores. You can see them being constructed and you're driving by and thinking, wow, that's going up fast. How come my remodel took six months and that thing was built in six days, you know? And, and you see it go up and you're watching it. You drive by you know, coming soon, coming soon. And then finally one day you drive by and you see grand opening. That's what this verse is. This is grand opening for the kingdom of God. This is grand opening for heaven itself. Jesus is saying, hey, the time is fulfilled. What you once had to wait for, you no longer have to wait for. No longer coming soon, now open. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then his... His instruction then, after identifying this grand opening, is repent and put your trust in the gospel. Repent. It comes first. Not only does it come first in the ministry of Jesus, but in everyone whom he anoints. 
And all that he's spoken to and all that he's imparted to, everyone that, that he would send out to preach and to teach and to carry on uh, the, the expansion of the kingdom of God, and now that's you and that's me today. This passage of Scripture applies. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. They went out and preached that men should repent. And all the women said amen, right? <laughs> Those dogs. <laughs> Forget about the gender there. The point was they went out and preached that people should repent. That's what they preached. I mean, it's an interesting thing to consider. And when you consider how far removed we've gotten from the concept of repentance as a church, it ought to be concerning. And it should also be revealing why we get different results as a body of believers than the results we see recorded in the Scripture. So the question then is, why repentance? Why is this so important? Why is it priority? Why does it come first? I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture here. We'll, we'll, we'll connect some dots together. I want to read a passage out of Acts. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Acts chapter 17. Now, when you, when you read this passage of Scripture, I, I want you to hear the words, but I want you to consider that all of this is being written for you and to you, okay? For you and to you. For me and to me. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God knows I have lived a, a, a long stretch that could be defined as a time of ignorance. It's actually a pretty polite way to put it. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere, remember that's all-inclusive now, no one's an exception, all people everywhere should repent. Now we could end that verse right there, and it could just be another verse confirming that repentance is important and repentance is necessary, but I love the following word. The next word in, in, verse, in verse 31 is because. Now we're about to find out why everybody everywhere should repent. So God's calling this to happen. You know, these times of ignorance are, are, are being overlooked, and God is calling from this point on, declaring that everyone everywhere should repent because, because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed and having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's Jesus. Jesus will judge. This is why God is being patient. This is why there's this extension. This is why there is this, this, in our eyes, a passing of time, but in God's eyes, a fulfillment of what he's doing. Not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That call to repentance is because there will be a day of reckoning. Our actions will have consequences. Luke chapter 13 I want to read, you'll see it in verses 3 and 5. Jesus is talking, he says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty tough, tough talk. Those are hard words. I mean, you see, you see perish. I mean, by definition, perish is this ultimate word of, of destruction. To perish means to no longer exist, right? 
I mean, it's one thing to think, you know, we're going to take a hit, it's going to be hard, it's going to be rough, but I want you to think about perish. I mean, if my wife made a chocolate cake, wink, wink, hint, hint, and then all of a sudden I were to consume that chocolate cake, that chocolate cake would have perished. It's gone. I mean, this is a really intense word. Now, we read it and we just kind of like, like glaze over it, you know, and we, we, we see it. We don't really take time to consider the severity. This is a big deal. This isn't like, hey, you're going to have a rough patch. You know, it's going to get tough. It's the difference between existence and not existing. And Jesus is making this thing conditional upon repentance. Repentance. The words that he would speak, the words that he would impart to his disciples to speak are spoken then and even today. I mean, this is a really important topic. I want to give you a passage out of the the Psalms. I mean, Psalm chapter 7, verse 12 It basically says that if a person does not repent, God has sharpened his sword and bent his bow to make it ready. And it's kind of a big deal. Now, I want you to know that we could read all of those passages and it makes God sound like, you know, this angry, vindictive, I'm going to get you. The reality is, I want to go back to our first verse, that God is being patient, drawing us and leading us into repentance for the purpose of saving us. From the result of corruption. So I want to give you some of the results of repentance. These should be exciting, okay? This, this should create in us an appetite to pursue this priority thing that God has revealed to us and called us to. I'll give you a few passages of scripture. Acts chapter 5 verse 31. I want to read the, the passage and then I want to point out the result. Uh, So we're talking about Jesus here. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance and forgiveness of sins. I want you to see that repentance precedes forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is a wonderful benefit or result of repentance. I want to give you another passage of scripture here as we look at the results of repentance. Acts 26.20. The passage of scripture starts out that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate with repentance. Now, if we just read right past that and we don't take the time to think about it, we could miss this benefit there. I mean, the call to repent and then to turn to God, which by the way, when you see repentance in the scripture, it's often yoked with the word return, repent and return. When you see this passage, you you see two things. You see this call to repent, turning to God, doing things God's way rather than our own way. And then you see this result, performing deeds that are appropriate to repentance. Now, this may not be a very big deal to you, but it is a very big deal to me because I have spent a lot of my life apologizing and then doing the same thing again, and then apologizing, and then doing the same thing again, and then apologizing, and then doing the same thing again, and then apologizing, dot, dot, dot. It continues and goes on. What we're talking about here is something so powerful that it changes the deeds that we perform. When repentance and turning to God takes place, there should be, as a result, the performing of deeds that are appropriate with repentance. It's a wonderful time to actually give you the definition of repentance. The word actually means to change. It's not simply an apology. Rather, it's a declaration of change, a commitment to change. 
If you were to look up the word repent in a concordance, by definition, it would be to turn away from, like change direction, or to change. I'll give you another passage of scripture here out of Acts, Acts 20, 21. Now it starts off kind of mid-thought here, but I want to give you this as a benefit. Uh, the disciples were, were preaching, they were testifying. It says, solemnly testifying to both Jew and Gentile of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see in that passage of scripture that repentance toward God results in or precedes faith in Jesus Christ. Not just believing that Jesus exists, but faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Putting your trust in him. Installing your hope in him. Trust and hope are both commodities that we are all spending. The question is, where are you spending it? Are you putting your trust in money? Are you putting your trust in, 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 in relationships? Or are you putting your trust in a, a business? Are you, put, you can put your trust in something and you will put your trust in something the only one worthy to walk and receive your trust is Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God resulting in faith in Jesus Christ or the willingness to trust in Jesus. I'll give you another passage of scripture here before we move forward of a result of repentance. And it's one that we would all long for and desire. Acts chapter 11 verse 18. Now, remember, these are starting mid-context, but Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard this, they were quieted down and they glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to all the repentance that leads to life. I mean, when I read this passage of Scripture, I mean, the way that my brain works, and again, I'm not asking you to adopt my way of thinking, but I would underline repentance leads to life. Repentance leads to life. There are so many things in my life that are under attack to be destroyed. I mean, like we would speak in the, in the church of, of all of the works of unrighteousness and all the satanic works to steal and to kill and to destroy. Repentance leads to life. I want to give you this as a concept, as a truth. I mean, it, it, you'll see it in the scripture based on a passage of scripture. And I'll also just share with you that it, it bears witness in my own life that repentance is always noticeable. You can see it. You can see it. Luke chapter 15, verse 10, it, it reads like this. It says, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Meaning that it's visible. It's celebrated and embraced when that takes place. I can tell you in my life, every time I ever got arrested, I found Jesus. I don't know how many attorneys or judges I stood in front of and told them, Your Honor, I'm a changed man. Six months later, locked back up, you know. But then there was a time when there was an encounter with God that, that involved repentance, a true repentance, a change, a turning from, and a returning to God. I remember the prayer that was prayed during that moment. It was an admittance that I have taken my life and made it my own, and I am destroying it. I want to give it back to you. I don't want to do what I was doing. I'm returning to you. Repent and return. 
And you can apply that to any aspect of your life. I mean, it can be marriage, it can be children, it can be business, it can be anything. Anything where there is this introduction of failure, death, corruption, destruction, perishing. Because remember, it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. In this place, repentance is noticed. I can tell you that when that took place in my life, there was a noticeable change. Because I had been such a gifted liar for many years, people were skeptical, but they all noticed the change. Many of them thought, well, let's let time prove it out. And sure enough, time proved it out. But you can see repentance because repentance is more than an apology. Repentance is a change in behavior, attitude, and action. And I can just tell you, if I were taking notes right now, I would be writing that down. Repentance is a change in behavior, attitude, and action. When repentance exists, there should be a noticeable change in behavior, attitude, and action. It should change the way we speak. It should change the decisions that we make. There should be a noticeable change. Repentance is foundation in every Christian's life. I, I, I want to, is the foundation or is foundational, excuse me, in every Christian's life. I mentioned we were going to find what's needed in order to be mature. If we want to grow in God, we want to grow in the things of God, it's very important that we don't skip step one. I mean, every journey, every trip starts with the first step or the first mile. You cannot skip the first step in God's path to maturity and growth for the believer. Repentance is foundational in every Christian's life. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It reads like this. <clears throat> Therefore, leaving behind the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity. I want to stop there. Do you see what's being said here? We're going to get away from the things that are, are elementary and we're going to grow into the things that are mature. Basically, you know, for, for a very simple example for a congregation or a church, we're going to grow past the sinner's prayer, the entry into Christianity, and we're going to grow into the function and the operation as a, a Holy Spirit-empowered child of God. Let's get past these elementary things, these beginning things, and grow into the mature things that God is calling us to and he's perfecting us into. So you see this foundation being laid here and you're going to see the word foundation used in just a moment. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings of Christ, let us press on to maturity, not having to lay again a foundation of repentance. But then it goes on to describe the other things. And I want to just pause there because the point of this is not to talk about the other things, but to talk about that primary element, that primary foundation, that priority step one being repentance. So here's why I think this is important to talk about. And, and I know that, that, you know, right about now, you know, looking at the clock, feeling the temperature in the room, it's easy to start to kind of wane. But I want you to dial in because this is really the point. If we desire to function as mature believers, but yet we do not walk through or embrace that first step, everything we do thereafter will be empty and vain. Even if it stands, it will stand temporarily just like a house built with no foundation. 
If we were to go and build a structure and we did not lay a foundation, it may stand erect for, for years, but the first time that the pressure is strong enough to knock it down, it's gone. And in many believers' lives, there's this opportunity to, to step into Christianity and they step into Christianity and they begin to function and operate and then they can even be promoted. I've seen that happen a lot. People become, you know, pastor of this or pastor of that and they've never embraced that primary step which was repentance, to change the way they once were and embrace that which God has for them. It's the reason why you see so much corruption in the body of Christ. You see people looking exactly like the world but yet functioning and leading in the church. And you know what I'm describing when I say that. If we look like the world, we ought to examine ourselves and ask, is there a need for us to separate or to change from old ways and return to God? It's foundational. It cannot be skipped. If it's skipped, it will lead to destruction. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture here to continue to establish this. There is a trap as it concerns maturity, and we'll see that in just a moment. Uh, I want you to consider this. I want you to ask yourself this question. How do you identify a mature believer? I mean, I can tell you how most of Christianity does this. I mean, they'll look at the results of somebody's life or ministry. I mean, someone that, that Maybe ministers in, in certain ways, people are healed or things like that, and they begin to think, wow, that person is really anointed. That's a, that's a de description that I've heard used, and, and it's not necessarily wrong, but it could lead you astray because to be moved by those things would be to miss what Jesus prioritizes. I love healing. I love ministry. I love seeing miracles. I love seeing uh, prophetic words released and imparted. I love all of those things. But I want to give you a passage of scripture just to help us with today's message. I mean, if I were to ask, do, do you enjoy, do you desire, do you long for the signs and wonders that are promised in the scripture? I mean, hands would go up here. Everyone here would say, yes, that, I, I agree with that. I, and I want that to be active in my own life and through my own life. We're, we're good with that. But I want to read this passage of scripture to you, and I want to, to, to ask you just to pay attention to what Jesus is saying and read between the lines a little bit. So the passage of scripture is out of Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. That passage of scripture reads like this, okay? Now, I'm, I'm trusting that you're going to pay attention and do some, some thinking here. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So you see that Jesus, there's actually a passage of scripture that says that he didn't do a lot of miracles in, in a certain city or a certain location because of the unbelief that existed there and all of that. So what that means in these cities, there were people that believed. Man, they were, they were believing and they, they, they longed for those things. You can see that in a church, in a body of Christ, where, where the, the, the charismatic nature of the church or, or the, the desire to function and operate as, as a, a, a spirit-filled church, a, a gift-celebrating a, a gift church where the, the Holy Spirit gifts are embraced and pursued. I mean, all of these things are great. But if you see what Jesus is saying here, that's not a sign of maturity. Those should just be signs and wonders that follow every believer. Not just one style of church or another. 
I mean, everybody, at, and I won't name a denomination, but at whatever denomination down the street is just as equipped to lay their hands on the sick as I am. I don't have something extra because I go to Champions Church and we believe in that and you don't. I mean, Jesus is Jesus, and the same Jesus that's in them is the same Jesus that's in me. But Jesus is saying this for, our, for us to see this, that to see those things, though those things are wonderful and ought to be uh, pursued and sought after, I think the gifts of the Holy Spirit ought to be pursued and ought to be celebrated, ought to be ministered. There should be those things, those signs and wonders that are promised, following the life of every believer, not just anointed pastors or special guests, but every single Christian. But that doesn't impress Jesus. That doesn't move God. In fact, the word says here where all of these miracles were performed, Jesus is denouncing their cities because they didn't repent. They didn't change. They didn't lay down the old ways and turn toward God. Rather, there was an attempt to blend the two together. To have their cake and eat it too. It's an interesting passage of, of Scripture to consider, and it ought to reveal to us what God accounts as maturity. Not the functioning and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Rather, in this case, the maturity is the, the, the change that is to be acknowledged when we see the need to renounce that which is destructive, that which is corrupt, that which is worldly, that which is selfish, that which is not of God, and to turn and to embrace that which is. That's maturity. And it can be so simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be so simple. It can be a matter of recognizing I shouldn't look at that, and so we cut it off. I shouldn't listen to that, so we cut it off. It ought to be so simple in our lives in its practice, but profound in its effect. Growth, maturity. So I want to talk about where repentance takes us. I know it's a lot of, of, of talking this morning, but I hope that you're receiving something from it. Where repentance takes us. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, one from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 19. So you have uh, Jesus speaking to us here, and he says, Those whom I love, I correct and discipline. Notice correct and discipline, or reprove and discipline. Not punish, but discipline, meaning I redirect them. I train them. I help them to not do it the bad way and to do it the good way. I I'm leading them and guiding them. Those whom I love, I correct and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. When we repent, we position ourselves to be redirected by God in the way we should go. It ought to take all of the, the scariness and all of the, the fear that might be attached to repentance and remove it to realize this is a good thing for me to repent. For me to make that declaration and that commitment to let go of that which is dragging me down and to embrace that which God has for me is a wonderful thing. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it doesn't look like it, we have to remember what we opened up with. God's not slow about his promises like some consider slowness. He's at work. Be patient. I'll give you another passage of scripture here where repentance takes us as believers. 2 Timothy 2.25. 2 Timothy 2.25. It gives this within the passage that repentance is leading us 
to the knowledge of the truth. To repent and to surrender to the leading of Jesus Christ, his reproof, his correction, his discipline, meaning I'm willing to let you change me. I'm willing to let you correct what's incorrect in me, leads us to truth. Repentance precedes revival always. And I want you to think of revival in every which way imaginable. I mean, you can think of it as far as a a church or a community is concerned. You can think of it as a, a, a person or an individual is concerned. Revival, to have something that is absolutely dead come back to life, you know, to have life restored to it, to revive if, if somebody rushed me to the hospital right now and the doctors had to revive me, that would mean that I, I was gone. If I was rushed to the hospital and they put a Band-Aid on me, that's not revival. <laughs> that's just a little maintenance. You know. So repentance precedes revival. Now, we all have things in our lives that we think, my God, that's dead. There's no hope for that. But yet there is. It's the beauty and the wonder and the splendor and the power of this wonderful thing that God has brought into our lives through Jesus. The reason why he would stand from that day on and begin to preach, repent, because it has wonderful effects. That which is dead can come to life. I want to give you a passage of scripture. I want you to see that repentance precedes revival. I I want you to think of it in the matter of miracles, signs and wonders. Mark 6, 12 and 13. It says, they went out and preached that men should repent. Okay, that's pretty simple. You got step one, right? And then here's what follows. And they were casting out many demons and anointing many sick people with oil and healing them. Now, as as believers, I think that we love the idea of casting out devils and, and laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed. But don't miss step one. Step one is introducing that person to repentance. To preach and proclaim, not to force them to repent, but rather to speak about it. Hey, listen, God's made a way for us to experience change, real change. Don't picture Jesus like you would one of our politicians who stands and makes promises that are empty and vain and never delivers. But rather, he's bringing the message of truth, the gospel, the good news. What is that good news? That things don't have to be the way they are. We can repent and return to God. According to the passage that we read earlier, God has decided, chosen, established, ordained to overlook those times of ignorance and to open up an opportunity for repentance for us. I want to continue here and give you a passage of Scripture. Uh, You see that that repentance preceded those signs and wonders, those miracles. I want you to consider the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Baptism in the Holy Ghost, Acts chapter 2. I want to read verses 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, repent each of you. It starts with that. Did you see that? That's the opener, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. But did you notice step one? Repent. Repent. So the the point here is not to throw rocks. I mean, I think with good intentions, churches have have celebrated water baptism and 
and opened up opportunities for people to recite a prayer. Now you're a Christian and you have all of these things in your life. And then when the person is kind of chugging along the path, nothing changes. There's very little maturity, very little growth, but things just seem to be mundane and repetitive. I look back and think to myself, now, is this because maybe we miss something? Something that is not very uh, pleasant or maybe has become taboo to talk about. I mean, repent is a bit of a dirty word in most churches today. The idea that you would tell me to change. I've seen people stick stickers on their car, only God can judge me. You know, have you seen that? I heard a comedian say one time, that should worry you. <laughs> The reality is we're not here to judge each other and throw rocks, but rather we should embrace and celebrate the doctrine of repentance that God has released to us. If it made every single message that Jesus preached, if it was the priority to every time he stood and spoke, if it was the point of the gospel that there would be repentance and forgiveness preached unto men, we ought to celebrate that. We ought to embrace it. We ought to talk about it. So that it doesn't get lost in our vocabulary as kind of a churchy word for apologize. But that we see it as a powerful work that God's called us to, to rescue us from death and destruction. So here's kind of then, how do we do this? How do we repent? I mean, if it's so important, so priority, if it has all of these wonderful benefits, sign me up, but what does it look like? Well, I want to give you a couple of thoughts on that. You cannot repent without first recognizing sin. So, like, for me in my life, that changes my prayer life. It's, God, I want to see all of the sin in my life. I mean, shine a light in my heart, in my mind. Shine the light on me. If I'm getting away with it, let me get busted. Expose everything in me. Those are prayers I pray. Sometimes I kick myself for praying them. Because he'll do it. But you can't repent without first acknowledging sin in the first place. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that you can use as a support for that. Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That tells me that it's sinners that can be called to repentance. I can't repent without sin. I need to recognize sin in my life. If I start to think I'm fine, I don't have any sin, I don't have any issues, when I'm rife with sin and corruption, then there's going to be a real obstacle to repentance and celebrating all of its benefits. And I've got news for you, that exists a lot in this world, in, in the church even. People will not recognize their own sin. It's very easy to see the sin in other people. Sometimes it's very difficult to see the sin in ourselves. And I think it's important to ask God to expose those things. The psalmist did. I could share with you. I don't have it recorded in my notes here. But he asked God on multiple occasions prayers like this. Search my heart and know my ways. Expose those things that I might not have presumptuous sin. That's a real prayer from the psalmist. I wished I would have included that in the notes to give you the address for it. But if you want to, do a word search for presumptuous sin or search my heart. It's a wonderful thing. To, I remember when I read it after being first born again, that became a big part of my prayer life. And I got news for you. God had no problem answering that prayer. So you've got to be willing to recognize sin. And then what, what it takes to repent. I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture here. First of all, we have to acknowledge sin. Then what comes after that? What it takes to repent. If we know that, that repentance is a priority, if we know that we want all of those results that come from repentance, and now we know we need to recognize sin, then what? What's the next step? 
I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. The first one out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to look at verse 10. <clears throat> Let me read it to you, and we're going to read through these quickly and, and, and close here. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance. And repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. I want to read that again so that it doesn't just get lost in poetry. And then I want to explain for a moment uh, what's being spoken here. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. I want to tell you just really quickly, I know I don't want to take a lot of time, but before I was born again, I hated the things that were destroying my life. I mean, I was a total drunk. I mean, morning, noon, night, I would wake up, find my truck wrecked. I would not have memory of days on end from blacking out. I mean, it was bad, okay? I'm not talking about like, yeah, I used to party a little bit. No, I mean, it, it had control of my life. It was destroying me. It's a wonder that I'm not dead or locked up. And I knew that it was killing me, and I hated it. There were times that I would be in tears, sobbing, pouring everything out. I'm done with this. There's no way that I'm going to continue life like this. And then the next day, back at the liquor store and back at it. There was a sorrow that was on my life, but it was continuing to lead toward death. I hated it. I would cry the tears, but nothing would change. But then I see this. But there's a sorrow that's according to the will of God that produces repentance with no regrets and leads to salvation. So here's what I want to offer to you. One, you can't repent without first recognizing sin. And then two, does that sin break your heart? Or are you okay with it? Well, I know that's wrong, but I like it. I know I shouldn't do that, but you know what? I'm going to find some way to justify that that can stay. Let me tell you something. People are wickedly creative in the justification of sin. And I'm the chief of them. We will find some reason to convince ourselves that though we know what we're doing is wrong, it's okay for us because. And I'm telling you, it's, it's deception. Now the problem with deception is you don't know that you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, it wouldn't be deception. It would just be rebellion. That's the reason why it's important for us to have trusted people around us that can help lead us and guide us out of the blind spots of deception that do exist in our lives, me included. So first, we need to recognize sin. Secondly, sin needs to break our heart. We need to not make a place for it, embrace it, or, or uh, uh, condone it by holding on to it. I want to give you another passage of Scripture here concerning what it takes to repent. I'll give it to you from the psalm, Psalm 51. Now, Psalm 51 is, is famous for its, its, its foundation, that, that King David is, is convicted of this horrible sin that he's committed. It involves adultery. It involves murder. It involves all of these corrupt things. And he produces this psalm, this prayer, and this prayer includes some really great direction for me and you today. You do not have to be involved in the crimes or the actions that he was involved in for this prayer to apply to our life in leading us to repentance. I want to give you some of the, the Psalm 51 here, looking at verses like 10 through 13 and then verse 17. But create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. 
Don't cast away your presence from me, nor take away the Holy Spirit from me. Now, here's what's amazing to me. King David knew this is what's at stake. Because sin equals separation. If there's no sin in God, and he is holy, then to embrace sin in our lives is to embrace a life outside of him. Don't cast your presence away from me, nor take away your Holy Spirit from me. Now verse 12, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I'll be able to teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. He's basically saying, let my life be such a symbol of change that people will be converted, that people will be transformed. Let me be living, breathing evangelism. That people can know that, hey, isn't that Preston? That guy's a worthless drunk. But look at him today. He looks different. What happened to him? My whole life testifies that the gospel is true. And then verse 17. The sacrifices that God desires are a broken spirit, a contrite heart, and God will not despise those things. So I offered you, first of all, you can't repent without first recognizing sin. God exposed the sin in our lives. Then that sin needs to break our heart. It needs to be something that leads to that sorrow that that leads to repentance, according to 2 Corinthians 7.10. And then we need to know and understand and embrace that that is the sacrifice that God is looking for. That brokenness of heart, that contrite heart, that willingness to be formed and molded rather than that stubbornness that would reject what's true to embrace what we want. And it's then that we begin to see the changes, the transformations, and the results of that change that is repentance. I mentioned to you before we're going to find what we need to pray for. I'm closing with this passage. What we need to ask God for. I'll give you the the passage of Scripture here, and I've got to tell you I'm going to be telling on myself a little bit. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It reveals that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I want to tell you how much this passage of Scripture has changed my life. I used to think that that it was, you know, my job to, to beat people into repentance with messages of hellfire and brimstone. That it was my job to to reject the sinner in order for them to to realize that they needed to change. And then they would repent. And I've come to see now that none of those things ever worked for me. Why would they work for that person? The truth is revealed in the scripture. That it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Do you realize it doesn't even say it's the kindness of God that makes you repent? No one can make that happen. Repentance is 100% the individual's decision and choice. It's the reason why failure to repent will result in that individual's judgment because that is theirs and theirs alone, no one else's. But it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's changed the way that I pray. It's changed the way that I I minister or, or even counsel And many of you now, you know what I'm saying if I'm praying for you and I'm saying, Father, bless them with your kindness. 
What I'm saying is God lead them to repent. Lead them to that place of change. And I pray that prayer over my sons. I pray it over my marriage. I pray it over me. Father, thank you for your kindness. Let us come to know the full measure of your kindness. Because I know what that's going to lead to. It's going to lead us to the change that's necessary for us to abandon all of our destructive ways. Every pattern that we have in our lives that opens up the door for hell to come in and torture our marriage, our family, everything that we have will be shut off when we can be led by your kindness into repentance. That change that produces results. I want to ask you there when you're finished taking your notes to stand with me. I want to pray. I think these are the things that we're called to understand, to have them be fully embraced in our lives. Not only have them embraced in our lives, but be equipped to help share them with the lives of those around us. There as you stand, I want to offer this to you. It's a, it's a passage of scripture that is in the notes here that we didn't read during the message, but I want to share it with you now before we pray. And I think it's important. I mean, honestly, it was, it was skipped and it was cut out, but I feel moved to share it with you. It's Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I want to, I want to give you the, the words here. Acts 3, verse 19. It's a call. It says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Well, that in and of itself is this wonderful thing to celebrate. But after this, there is a, a, an order that or so that. So repent and return that your sins may be wiped away so that. This is the point now of walking as a believer with all of your sins wiped away. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There you go. That's what they call the money shot right there. In order that times of refreshing may come. I want to give you the definition of that word refreshing. You know, I mean, we think of that and we think like someone just sprayed Febreze through the sanctuary or something. Don't think like that. I want to give you the definition of the word refreshing. The Greek word in its definition, the recovery of breath. If I were to ask everyone in this room to hold your breath, you could do it temporarily. But if you were to fail to recover your breath, you would die. It would become so painful. It would become so uh, uh, frustrating. Your muscles would, would begin to tremble. It would begin to take over. And then if the failure to recover your breath were to come to pass, it would result in loss. This is what's at stake here as it concerns embracing repentance, understanding repentance, seeking out repentance in our prayer life, studying repentance in the Word. I'm not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible. I'm talking about embracing in our own lives so that the results of repentance can be living, breathing testimonies to the power of God. That we might have that recovery of breath. And then I want to ask you this before we pray. 
Are there areas in your life where you feel like you are suffocating? Where you feel like there is no recovery of breath? Where you feel like it has been choked off to the point that if you don't do something, you're going to die? And I want you to see that God has a solution for this inability to breathe. And his solution promises recovery. Recovery of breath, times of refreshing, and not in anything temporary that will end up passing away, but times of refreshing in his eternal glorious presence. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a work in our lives this morning. You're welcome to be in agreement with me. You're welcome to to just be in a state of receiving. But I want to pray and seek this for all of us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth, the presence of the Holy Ghost to lead us and to guide us. And we embrace and desire your kindness to wash over us, invade our minds and our hearts. We surrender to your leading to recognize all sin. Let it all be exposed. Let it all be uncovered. And let our hearts break at the thought of that corruption that has been embraced. And let us lay those things down, trusting and knowing that you will form us, you will mold us, you will lead us, you will guide us out of those destructive things and end to the full measure of your favor and the fulfillment of your promises. We bless your name and we desire to be a people of repentance. That we would see the priority of repentance in the gospel. Let it not simply be an academic lesson, but let it be a transformation of heart and mind. That we might embrace that which you have given us to see us liberated from all that would destroy and freed into all that would give life. We bless your name and we thank you. And as those things that need to be repented of are uncovered, let us be quick to call upon your name. Let it be more than apologies, but let it be a cry for change. That we would stop doing it in the way in which is destructive. And we would embrace your counsel and your direction to function and operate in the way in which is life-giving. We praise your name and we thank you for this wonderful gift that you've bestowed upon us. We move away any... any negative stigma attached to the idea of repentance and we embrace repentance as the way of the believer. Let it be for us in every waking moment of our lives that we might celebrate in full that recovery of breath, those times of refreshing in your presence. We give you thanks for such great promises and we stand upon your faithfulness to deliver as we surrender to you We bless your name and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.